fun to see the Tilly family giving children's messages, isn't it? I mean, they do it every couple of months. Um, and believe it or not, actually, the girls, Audrey and especially Grace, are the ones who usually write these children's messages. And they were talking about the themes of light and darkness. That's what we're talking about today. And when we talk about darkness, it reminds me of how when we look all around us in the world, there's a lot that is troubling, a lot that is confusing and concerning. And this last year especially has highlighted that. I think, for instance, just of all the mistrust that's at all levels of our society and how there's animosity all over the place and how so many people just feel out of control with what's happening and are worried about the future. And, you know, many are just wondering, God, where are you in all of this? Now, one of the words for 2020 especially that was used over and over and over to describe what was taking place was the word unprecedented. You probably heard a lot of people using that term. And to be sure, when we look at what was taking place in 2020 and we look and compare it to what was taking place throughout our nation's history, there was a lot that does seem quite unprecedented. But when we zoom out and look at broader world history down through just what humans have experienced down through history, you can find a lot of other times when people did face challenges much like what we've faced recently. I think, for instance, of the Jews who lived about 2,000 years ago. The Jews back then were just angry and frustrated that they were ruled by the Roman Empire. They did not trust their government at all. On top of this, uh, I mean, there was just a lot of corruption as they looked at at society around them, Uh, especially um, those who were godly Jews who really wanted to please God. They were all concerned and troubled just as they saw the immorality and the secularization of the world around them. There was a large disparity between the haves and the have-nots in that society. There were some who lived in luxury, while the vast majority just struggled to get enough food on their table each day to feed their family. Many fell out of control and worried about their future. And in all this, many were wondering, God, where are you in all this? Now today we're going to be looking at a truth that has the power to transform their perspective and their lives back then in such a complex world that they faced, and it can do the same thing for us. If you're following along in the Bible, I invite you to turn in it to John chapter 8. John 8, we are in a series right now that's called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. In this series, we're focusing on seven statements that Jesus made that are all recorded in the book of John, a biography of Jesus. And each one of these statements begins with the phrase, I am, and then he follows it with a description about himself. And today's I am statement comes from John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is just an amazing statement that Jesus makes. But I think one thing we have to understand is that when Jesus makes statements like this, they don't occur just in a vacuum. There is a context into which he's speaking this type of statement. I want to talk for a few minutes about the background behind the statement, I am the light of the world. Now, each year, the Jews had various festivals in order to celebrate. And in certain of these festivals, They would go into Jerusalem. There would be a massive pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And these festivals where people gathered in Jerusalem, I think would have made Jerusalem feel quite a bit like Fish Day does here in Port Washington each year. Now, if you don't know what Fish Day is, it's the world's largest one-door-out-day fish fry. And on Fish Day, 
people just flock here in the Port Washington. I mean, the population uh, just expands almost exponentially, it seems, on fish day. And there's so much energy just pulsing through the town. And that's what it would have been like in, Port, in Jerusalem back there for these festivals. That there would be energy pulsing through the town. Tens of thousands of Jews flocking into Jerusalem. Now to be sure, the, the focus was a little bit different. The feel may have been a little bit different. Because at Fish Day, there are so many different activities that people do. And on Fish Day, it's known for drunkenness. Now, these Jewish festivals would have been a bit different because their focus was not spread in a bunch of different directions. Their focus was on what was happening in the temple, and their focus was on praising God, and they were not really focused on drunkenness. But at the same time, the energy throughout the city would be about the same for them both. Now, Jesus delivered John 8, 12, this statement about being the light of the world. He delivered it during a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was the most joyful and exuberant festival in the Jewish year. I mean, so much joy went into it. And it's called the Feast of Tabernacles because during that week, as Jews would be there in Jerusalem, they would camp out for that week in homemade tents that were called tabernacles. And they did that as a way of commemorating the fact that their ancestors, hundreds of years earlier, had camped out in tabernacles out in the wilderness as they were journeying from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. It was called the Exodus. And so the Feast of Tabernacles largely celebrated God's deliverance in the Exodus. And the focal point of the Feast of Tabernacles took place at night. Each night at sundown, a priest in the temple would blow a shofar. Now a shofar is this hollow ram's horn that would sound like a deep, loud trumpet. And the sound of the shofar would carry throughout the city because it was a very compact city. The, the temple was at the highest point of the city. And it reminds me again of Fish Day. How at 10 a.m. on Fish Day, the tornado siren down here in downtown sounds as a way of indicating the parade is going to be starting now. And there would be an energy and a, just kind of a murmuring that would go through the crowd at Fish Day when you hear that siren because people are excited. It's going to start. It would be very similar to that when they hear the shofar blow. There would be this energy, this excitement that would pulse through the city as darkness settled over that city. Now, as you look at the temple, the focal point of what's taking place, there would be four huge lamps up in the sky at the temple. They aren't normally there. They are installed for the Feast of Tabernacles. And when I say lamp, think of something kind of like the Olympic flame. You know, at the Olympics every four years, there's this flame usually way up in the sky, large. That's the picture that comes to my mind when I think of this, these, these lamps. Because each one is about 75 feet tall. And each of these four lamps had uh, four basins of oil at the top of it. They were just flaming like crazy. So there were these blazing flames up in the sky around that temple. And these were meant to symbolize God's presence. Because again, back in the Exodus, as, as the Israelites are wandering through the desert, God was leading them in a form that looked at night like a pillar of fire up in the sky. That was God's presence leading them, guiding them, protecting them through the wilderness. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, there are these four torches, four, four lamps up in the sky reminding them and symbolizing God's presence. Now, this was a huge celebration. 
I mean, especially at night, the celebration would go deep into the night. There would be music playing as bands and choirs would be singing and playing in the temple and throughout the city. There would be lots of dancing. There would be special ceremonies um, put on by priests up in the temple. And around the city and in the surrounding countryside, people would be gathering around campfires. And as they did so, they would recount stories of God's faithfulness and God's provision during the Exodus. They would also tell stories to one another of God's faithfulness and provision in the recent harvest in Israel. And so it was in this setting, at the temple, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus stood before the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that is a huge statement of I am the light of of the world. And when Jesus said that, he's pointing at two key truths I want to point out for us. One is that the world is in darkness and needs light. The world is in darkness. Now, if you're like me, you probably have those times where you wake up during the night and you need to go use the bathroom or something like that, but you don't want to turn on a light, so you're kind of going your way through the darkness. And sometimes, if you're like me, you stumble on something. You know, you stub your toe or you run into the corner of a door with your face or you may even just trip over someone completely and just be sprawled out on the floor. I know some of these things have happened to me. You've probably experienced them as well. Why do these things happen? Is it because we're clumsy? Well, maybe a little bit. But really the the root reason why this happens is because it's dark. We can't see. We are designed to need Light, And this is true not only physically, it's also true spiritually. And a fundamental part of Jesus' point when he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. One of his fundamental points here is that the world is in darkness. On an individual level for each one of us, sin has created a spiritual darkness in us. And so the problem when we talk about the world being in darkness, it's not just a problem out there. In the surrounding world. It's not just a problem that we see in the media and we just point our fingers and say, well, look at those problems there and there and there and there. Yeah, there are problems out there. But the darkness in this world is also in us, in our natural self, because sin severs our relationship with God. If you continue this metaphor of light and darkness, you picture your life as a lamp. It's a lamp that's meant to put off light as it's connected to the power source of God. But what sin does is it essentially comes along and just cuts that power cord. And so we should be giving off light, powered by God, but instead we are darkness because of sin. And in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lists some of the ramifications of sin when it is, is living in us and through us. He says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, that's quite a list. And we see a lot of these things manifested just in the culture right around us. And this shows that the problem of sin is not just a personal, individualized problem. I mean, it starts in individuals, but it overflows and affects the entire world around us. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase dominion of darkness to describe what is happening in our world. 
metaphorically speaking, again, continuing the light and darkness metaphor, it's kind of like humanity is lost in a dark cave. I mean, if you think about it, if you've ever been in a cave, on a tour of a cave, when you're deep down inside the earth and they turn off lights, it is dark, isn't it? I mean, I've been in there, and if you're thinking about that, the image in your mind is probably just black. Because, I mean, it's so dark, you can't see your hand even if it's right in front of your face. I mean, it's pitch black. And that's a picture of what humanity is experiencing, metaphorically speaking, because of our sin, because we're separated from God in our natural state. And if you picture the human race down lost inside of a dark cave, you can imagine there's going to be chaos. There, there's going to be helplessness and a sense of despair. People are going to be bumping into each other. You know, if, they, um, if, if people don't fall down a pit and die that way, they're going to die of starvation after not all that long. On top of that, again, people are going to bump into each other. You're going to get people starting to break off in different groupings and, and thinking something, oh, let's go over here, and others saying, oh, no, let's do this instead. You're going to get animosity taking place. And I've read enough stories of when people are in dire circumstances, when it's a matter of life and death, especially we you know when they're on an island where there's no food or other things like that, that people even resort to cannibalism. That's how dark, you know, the human heart is when they're desperate especially. I wouldn't be surprised in that metaphor if, if people even turn to that type of thing. Because, you know, there's a desperation when people are, are trapped and are, are struggling in, in darkness. And this is a picture of what, what life is like without God. And it's not that the world is, is, is bad as it could possibly be. I mean, it could certainly be worse. By God's grace, we still experience blessings in this world. It's called common grace to everyone can experience. But even so, people are just without God, just feeling their way through life, trying to make the best of things, but unsure of exactly where to go and what to do, because we're cut off by sin from the source of life. Now, think about people in that dark cave, in that metaphor. If they are not rescued, they are going to die. It's the same thing for us in our spiritual darkness in this world, that sin severs that relationship with God, and without a rescue coming to get us, we are going to die, not only physically on this earth, but eternally in hell, separated from God. But Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So one aspect of the statement is that the world is in darkness and needs light. Now, from for a different angle, what Jesus is saying is that he is God and will lead us to life. Jesus is God and will lead people to life. Now, remember the context in which he's making this statement. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. He's in the temple all week long. These massive lamps have been blazing in the sky representing the presence of God, reminding people of God in that pillar of fire back when Israel was journeying through the wilderness. And Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world, He's saying, hey, you know that God who led you through, through the wilderness in that light? That is me. I led them, and that is me standing here now. I am that God. I am the light of the world. Now, just soak that in for a minute. Just how crazy and amazing that is. Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow Jesus, we won't be walking in darkness any longer sin and fear and just, just, just despair does not have to categorize our life or characterize our life anymore. Now, Jesus said, I've come 
that you might have life. I've come to lead you to life. It's kind of like Jesus comes down into our cave where we are lost, where we're helpless and hopeless. And he comes to rescue us out of it, lead us to life. Now I want to give you a snapshot of what this looks like in the individual's life. What it looks like for someone to move from darkness to light. What it looks like for Jesus to transform someone's life because he is the light of the world. Let me tell you the story of Rita Salomon. Rita was involved here at Freedens for several years. She died back in 2017, late in the year from cancer. Rita was a woman who early in her life experienced some very challenging things. Left a lot of emotional scars, left her with a lot of anger and bitterness and shame and loneliness in her life. Her view of God at that point was that God was a vengeful God. God's an angry God. God's just waiting for her to fail. And so in her mind, from an early age on, she had no need for God. She didn't want God to be a part of her life. She had no need for church either. She had no need in her mind for organized religion. But God transformed her life. And back in the spring of 2017, she went through the membership process here at Freedom's Church. Part of that process is writing your story of how God has transformed your life. I want to read you from her own words how God transformed Rita's life. She said um, one night, a number of years ago, she was about to turn off the TV, but she left it on just for a moment longer. And she said, it was an evangelist talking about Jesus dying on the cross. He explained that Jesus died on the cross to remove all sin from us so we'd be able to have a relationship with God. Further, he said, Jesus had to die a very public death in order for people to believe that he had come back to life in the resurrection. This was not the first time I'd heard the gospel, nor would it be the last, thankfully. I find that I need to hear it over and over and over so it stays in my heart. Now, for many years, Rita had been meeting with a counselor, and, and she, through the course of time, she shared with this counselor some of the things that she'd been thinking about, about Jesus, what she'd heard on TV. And as she and the counselor talked, the counselor um, started talking, you know, maybe you should find a church to help nourish, nurture you in, this, um, in, in your thoughts about Jesus and stuff. And so she, she made a list of criteria of, of things that she thought would make a good church for her to be involved in. And that list of criteria actually led her right here to Frieden's. And she said, as I related my feelings from my information gathering to my counselor, or my findings to my counselor, I came to the abrupt realization that my guardian angel was not an angel, but Jesus Christ leading me to salvation. This new awareness caused me to look at what I attributed to my guardian angel with a clearer view and I finally recognized the hand of Jesus steadying me, showing me the right path, and ensuring that all life experiences happened in their own time. This revelation changed my whole perspective on Christianity and opened my eyes to the fact that God is not vengeful or angry or just waiting for me to fail. God gave his only son to be put to death so people could be brought closer to God. And she wrote that here at church, I began making use of the classes between services and learned a great deal I hadn't known before. I have become more adept at recognizing and accepting Jesus Christ's help and guidance. I am less inclined to be judgmental of others as well as myself and practice loving patience with myself and others. If I find myself becoming frustrated with someone, I stop and say a prayer to Jesus to give me strength. The anger, denial, and loneliness began to subside 
as my understanding of being a Christian deepened and solidified. I have discovered that there is no end in death, but a new beginning in eternity with God. Death is a joyous experience as a coming home. Think about how profound that was. She wrote that in the spring of 2017. She at that point did not know that she had a cancer inside of her ravaging her body that would take her life. She is now at home with Jesus. But Jesus, the light of the world, had transformed her life. She went on to say, instead of being lonely, I'm learning to be thankful for the time I have alone, to pray, meditate, and read the Bible. I'm thankful for the clarity of calm brought about by the antithesis of anger, denial, and confusion. I'm thankful for God's hand in my life, for there has been good for the bad and exaltation for the desolation. I think Rita's life is a great example of what it looks like for Jesus to be the light of the world in a person's life, to lead someone out of darkness and into the light of life. Rita experienced that. Now, I want to jump back to the temple. Just to remember, Jesus said that statement in the temple with a bunch of people gathered around him. And when he said, I am the light of the world, the Jewish leaders did not appreciate that one bit. I mean, you can imagine why. I mean, no one really likes to be told they're walking in darkness, that they're wrong. And on top of that, the Jewish leaders did not think that Jesus had the authority to make that type of statement. I mean, because it's a massive statement. And so the rest of John chapter 8 is a debate back and forth between the Jewish leaders and Jesus about whether Jesus has the authority to make that type of statement. And the chapter climaxes at the end when Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. We looked at that a couple weeks ago, and that's a, a clear claim from Jesus to be God. And the Jews knew it. It said that the Jews then picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself and then left the temple. So that was the end of the Feast of Tabernacles there. But he had declared, I am the light of the world. And it shows that until we follow Jesus through faith and repentance, we will be walking in the dark. But we have the truth that Jesus delivers to us, that he is the light of the world. That if we follow him by faith and repentance, he will lead us to life. We see that, for instance, in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 where Paul says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, that's amazing, being transferred from darkness to light, from sin over to life. That's what Jesus makes available. I mean, Rita experienced it. We can all experience that transformation. And again, this is relevant on a personal level and on a broader level. On, on a personal level, it's relevant whether we need to turn to Jesus for the first time or whether we've been following Jesus for years or even decades. It, this, this topic is still relevant to all of us. You know, maybe for you, you realize, you know, I, if I'm honest with myself, have been walking in darkness for a long time. I've not been walking with God. I've not been turning to him. Maybe it's time for you to turn to Jesus by faith and repentance, recognizing, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to feel my way through life, but I'm ready to follow you, and I need you to pay the death penalty I deserve for my sins. Maybe today is that day for you to make that decision. But you know what? Even if you've been walking with Jesus for years or even decades, we all still need that reminder 
to not walk in the darkness, but to walk in the light and following Jesus. You know, maybe there has been some sin in your life that you've just been hiding. You know, maybe it's the idea of the shadow self that you hide in the darkness from others rather than bringing it out into the light. Maybe it's time to be honest with God, with yourself, maybe with others as well, about what you've been hiding. We have the promise of Jesus that if we bring it into the light, there will be healing and grace. I think of 1 John chapter 1. John was one of Jesus' followers on earth. He was the one who recorded in John chapter 8, Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. And he continued that metaphor in a letter that he wrote that we know is 1 John. He said in 1 John 1, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise of the gospel. You know what? We don't have to hide in the darkness. Instead, we can bring our sin out into the light, confessing it to God, to others as necessary, as appropriate, and receive forgiveness and grace and healing. So this is relevant certainly on a personal level as we individually follow Jesus, but it's also relevant on a broader level as well. On a broader societal level, Jesus gives us confidence as we journey through a dark world. You know, our our world is messed up. I mean, you, you know that. We could go around this room and we could all list reasons why our world is a mess. The last year, 2020, and here in the 2021, has just illustrated that in fresh ways. Our world is messed up. It's, it's a dark, hard place. And I think about if we were to talk with Jesus and we were to express our surprise about how messy our world is, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus would, would say, why are you surprised by that? The world is in darkness. It's been cut off from God because of sin. But there is hope and there is confidence through Jesus because he is the light of the world. And that can give us confidence even as we journey through a dark world, a world that feels like we're in the wilderness, like we're not quite sure what's going on. We can have confidence. On Monday nights, I lead a Bible study that's called Drive Through History. And we're studying the early church, especially through the book of Acts. And one of the things that's been striking me the last couple of weeks as we've been doing this study is how these early Christians, they lived in a society that was very hostile to Christianity. And they faced a lot of persecution, a lot of ridicule. Some of them were even imprisoned for their faith or even killed. Yet these Christians, they lived with such courage and confidence. They lived with such a sense of joy and purpose. And I believe the reason is, it's not just because the Holy Spirit's empowering them. I mean, that's, that's massive, actually. That's a big part of it. But they knew Jesus to be the light of the world. They understood the world is going to be a dark place around them. But Jesus is the light of the world, and that gave them confidence to continue to follow him with courage and with faith and hope and joy, even as they lived in a world that was challenging, that was difficult and troubling. I want to, just as we close up today, just circle back to those massive lamps in the temple and think about what they represent. Those lamps in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles represent the presence of God. It's a reminder of back as the the Israelites were journeying through the wilderness and darkness of God leading them and providing for them and protecting them. 
giving them comfort and peace in a hard world? It was the Exodus. Now, when Jesus comes along and, and says, I am the light of the world, he's essentially pointing himself as the leader of a new Exodus. You know, through wilderness, through darkness, but he's leading people out of slavery to sin and darkness and into light and life. He is leading. And the question is, will we follow him? We live in a world that can feel like wilderness and darkness at times. But Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to step off your heavenly throne to come into this world, a dark world, a world that has rejected you over and over and over, yet you came by your grace and mercy to give us life. Lord, we look at the world around us and we see mess. And we look into our own lives and we see things that are, are difficult and, and we see lots that is troubling and confusing. And Lord, I pray that you will do a work in us through your Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us to follow you. That you will give us hope and peace and trust in you. That you will give us a sense of joy and courage as we journey through a challenging world. Lord, we thank you that you didn't just leave us in a place of darkness, in a place of desperation but you came to rescue us and lead us out into life. Lord, please empower us to walk in the light of your life all the days of our life on this earth and into eternity as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I invite you as we close our service to stand and sing.